0: Welcome to This Must Be The Place, the show that reveals the unique physical, cultural, and emotional layers of places. Today, Marty Buckley and her daughter, Buckley, join me. It is somewhat difficult to summarize who Marty is and what she has done, but here it goes. Marty hails from the state of Alabama in the United States, but has lived here in Donostia San Sebastián in the Basque Country of Spain for about seven years or so, and I'm looking at her... and uh... She'll tell us if it's true or not. During her time here, she opened up an artisan popsicle business. She ran a pop-up ice cream sandwich slash bakery bicycle, cycling up and downtown, offering ice cream sandwiches, cookies, and donuts. All this time, writing about and photographing this town and its food for her own blog, Blank Palette, as well as writing travel articles for travel and leisure, afar, southern living, national geographic, and many, many more. Now, She is the marketing and brand manager for Mimo Foods, a company that provides food-related tours and experiences, along with cooking classes in San Sebastián, Sevilla, and Mallorca. A few years ago, when our own idea to move to San Sebastián was in its infancy, she was one of the people I decided to follow. She provided not only practical information that helped me plan, but more importantly, inspiration when my own courage waned. Marty, Buckley or Buck? Buckley. (laughs) (laughs) Mila Esker for joining me today.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. And let's start with a personal narrative because I want to know your own account of how you ended up here in Donosti. Ultimately, I'm interested in how the experience of this place seeped into your psyche and seduced you to stay or to love it. So getting your story about your path from Alabama to Mm -hmm. Donosti is is a great place to start.
1: Okay, well, I mean, it definitely feels like it was meant to be And when I look back, but on the way here, it was tempestuous and difficult. And part of the reason I started my blog was because I didn't have anywhere to look for that inspiration that you said you had. And so I'm happy to hear you say all that. But my path started when I was forced to, forced, when I chose to go to an SEC school, I stayed in the south. My dreams were maybe to go up north to Harvard or something like that for college. But I stayed in the south, went where I could get a scholarship, which was LSU. And I ended up, because of that, being able to do a study abroad program, which I randomly got placed in Pamplona, which is an hour away where the running of the bulls is. And it was eye-opening. I mean, it was my first time stepping off of American soil was in the airport of Pamplona, which is one room. And nobody's ever in it. And so that was my first experience. And I spent six months in that city and just fell in love with it. And I don't know if I would have had a whole different life and fallen in love with any European city that I stepped into, but I just happened to get stuck in Basque Country. And so those first six months of my time here were incredible, and I fell in love with the food and the people and the landscapes. And I also visited San Sebastian several times while I was studying abroad. And so when I went back to college and finished my degree and started working, I always had it in the back of my head that I wanted to come back here. And as my career developed, I was writing, and I started cooking professionally. And so by the time the opportunity arose to come to Europe, I had it very, you know, clear in my head that I wanted to be in San Sebastian.
0: Mm-hmm. so you started cooking. That was your, your first professional experience cooking in the United States or here?
1: Mm, Well, my mm. first job was at Southern Living, and I was working in editorial there. And then I worked there for about a year, and then I had Buckley and stayed home for a year. And then I got very anxious, you know. I was very had my hands full with my little baby, but wanted to do something career-wise, something different. And so my friend got me a stage in Frank Stitt's restaurant, Bottega. He's one of the most prominent Southern chefs, sort of like the godfather of Southern cuisine. And I started working there. Well, I went for one night. It was horrible. I was the only girl. I had no idea what I was doing. I did everything wrong. But as I was leaving, the chef de cuisine said, you know, thank you for coming. Come back anytime. And I was thinking, no way, I'm I'm never going back. And he was like, like, tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, oh, what did I just say? So I I went there and I kept going back and ended up working there for two years as
0: a cook. And why, what hooked you to come back to the Basque country? You you mentioned you came in through Pamplona and had Mm -hmm. an experience there. You visited San Sebastian. Did you know you wanted to come back at all times? What was it about this place that that set sort of psychological hooks in you?
1: Mm, Well, I knew, you know, Spain. I knew I wanted to be in Spain and... I just think that my time in Pamplona was really formative because if you know anything about Spain, you know that everywhere is so different. So the south is like another land, and I feel like I know nothing about the south. But something about—I think it's a combination of the landscape, you know, the— the verdant hills of Basque Country and like, okay, it's not very sunny here, but Mm -hmm. there's always this kind of great fog around the mountains and it's very picturesque. And then it was also definitely the people and their distinct culture and their language. And there's just like an air of mystery that I had to figure out. I had to learn more. And then really career-wise, I mean, I had no idea what I was going to do, but I was just very drawn by the culinary scene here.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. How old was Buckley at that time when you came over here?
1: Two and a half. Two and a half. <laughs> Baby.
0: Wow. We're going to talk about this later because I have a similar story. My parents moved me when I was two and a half also from New York City to Mexico City. And I grew up in Mexico City too, learning English and, and Spanish at the same time. So it's, we'll talk about that later because <laughs> it's not about me. It's about you two. <laughs> But I, I'm curious. I'm going to press a little more because you mentioned the landscapes, you mentioned the culture and the people, and I'm, you used to be a philosopher. I guess I still am a philosopher, and I like to unpack and, and find what is it specifically about those things that, that brought you here. So you've been around here seven years, isn't mm-hmm. it? Seven yeah. and a half Seven now. and a half Without. now. What are the elements of this place that have an impact on you, and how have you changed as a result of them? Has this place changed your outlook or your philosophy of life? in general or?
1: Mm, I mean, definitely, sure, for sure, because now we're nearing on a quarter of my life and the longest I've lived anywhere in my adult life. Mm. I think in general, maybe not specific to San Sebastian, is the European way of life. So it's like leaving our house in the morning, walking down the street, saying hello to the fishmonger, hello to the person in the office that you're passing hello to everybody you know it's like that's opening scene in beauty and the beast Bonjour, mm-hmm. bonjour. <laughs> and i don't know that for me it felt suddenly like this hole had been filled you know i'd always yearned for that kind of community like walking down the street in america and i am from like um birmingham which isn't the most walkable city mm-hmm. so that definitely feels felt made me feel more like complete and then um, other th- things that might have might change me as a person. Ugh, I don't know. That's a really tough question. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, it does. the <laughs> I think you know the people growing up and seeing the people here is they're inspiring people. I mean, they can be kind of closed to new ideas and stuff like that, but they're also really inspiring because they have this strong sense of family. And I've tried to bring that a a lot more and they sort of maybe the value that before was more capitalist, more consumer oriented in the States. Like you would always have to be going to get something or that was your excuse to leave the house. Mm -hmm. Maybe now I, I feel like I've been taught to focus more on time that you spend with people and time that you spend with your family. I mean, they get together with their families every Sunday or maybe every day, some of them. And so that's kind of something I think that has changed the way that I operate and that my family operates.
0: Mm -hmm. I definitely find it with myself as well. When I'm living in the United States, I I often use a metaphor that my brain or my mind is clenched. Mm. It's clenched and tight because it's thinking about what can I do? Where can I go? What can I get? Mm -hmm. How's my day going to proceed? There's no sidewalk. How do I go from one (laughs) place to another? If I have interactions with people, it's mostly, for the most part, commercial. Mm. But as you said, living here, you you allow your experience to open up <laughs> and almost just move with the flow and have different types of experiences. It's just at, at that level, extremely different. Um, <laughs> this conversation reminded me, you had an Instagram post. Trying to rem- it was You went to Getaria <laughs> and it was, I think it was a long Instagram post. And I think you talked about a lot of the themes you're talking. Now you visited El Cano, you visited the fishermen and had a day where I think all that crystallized. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I definitely Mm -hmm. remember that day. That was working um, on my book, which Mm -hmm. I guess we'll get to later. But it was a special day because it really was, I mean, Getaria is this tiny village about 30 minutes outside of San Sebastian. And really tiny, uh, must be like a couple thousand people. And I went there to shoot some photographs for my book, and it just happens to have this amazing tradition of grilled seafood from the days it's got a big port, still one of the active ports of Basque Country, and the fishermen used to come off, sell what they could, and eat what they couldn't. And so there became, they started this tradition of just grilling the seafood right there in the street. And so one of the best restaurants for grilled seafood, maybe in the world, or so says Anthony Bourdain and lots of other people, is El Cano. Mm -hmm. And they have a really kind family that's in charge of that restaurant, the Arreguis. And Aitor opened his doors to me, and he and his chef Pablo took me around that day to take pictures. And it was... I mean, it was amazing. It was we we went like two blocks down these cobblestone streets down to the port to get into one of their providers' uh, boats. And they were literally just these older men, some most of them retired, and they talked to me about their day and how they'd just walk down from their house, get in their boat, go fishing, come back. and there I was with the chef of this restaurant, and he was picking up this fish that had been swimming just two hours ago. And there we were carrying it up, you know, ourselves, the owner of this Michelin star restaurant. And it was just like their day. And and it was like all the lip service that you hear given to farm-to-table eating mm-hmm. and, and everything. Even when it's really close in America, it's still, you know, miles and miles away. You know, you don't get that, that same sense of knowing where your food is from and I just, that day my mind was blown just by how this is real, this mm-hmm. is like a real amazing restaurant that really gets their fish from that morning from these clean waters that are right, you know, on our doorstep and it was just, felt really like, ah, this is, this is the, the mm-hmm. real deal, you I mean, know
0: it, it really is ineffable, um, I'm trying to articulate as well what is it about this place that has hooked me and what that post crystallized for me is often, I'm going to call it the hipster impulse in the United (laughs) States of finding the authentic restaurant or the farm-to-table restaurant. It seems like once you find authenticity, farm-to-table, that's the goal. And once you've hit the goal, you post Mm. that you've found it. (laughs) Here it's a little flipped. There's authenticity and there's farm-to-table, but that's just a fact, sort of like the texture of life. It's not the end goal. And you just swim within this and enjoy life within the context of Authenticity farm to table, it's not a goal, and people don't raise an eyebrow. Totally. What's the point? It's not a final end product of life here. It just is life. So, whenever people come in with this cultural layer and say, Ah, I found authenticity, people are just a little bit quizzical about (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, I think Um, that they don't, they never lost it. I mm -hmm. mean, they don't, they don't, they never had that lost generation or that decade where it disappeared. So, it's, it really is the seasonal eating for them is something that's very normal. They don't they enjoy the fact that you can only find things one or two months. They look forward to that moment where it's artichoke season or it's asparagus season. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that's one of the reasons they aren't like searching for it is cuz they never lost it. Mm-hmm. And definitely not that whole idea of having to be posting It's just not as prominent here. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know if it's because technology is sort of always a little bit um, behind. Five years? Yeah, five years. I don't know Uh, know if it's that or I don't know if it's just. But uh, here in this place, I've had several times happen to me where I've been overhearing a group of teenagers. And they'll say, put your phone down. You can do that at home. Mm -hmm. And like to hear that, it's just it calls to mind the difference, the different outlook.
0: So, okay, now here's a question I'm going to ask both of you. Um, you talked a little bit about the people here, and what have you noticed about how the Basques engage with the world that inspires you and that might also frustrate you? So what does it mean to interact with, with the Basque people? What, what's great about it and what's frustrating about it?
1: Well, one thing that I like, really admire in them and have taken to heart as well is they're still really intimately linked with nature, Perhaps it's due to their smaller, the cities are much more condensed. So we live right on the edge of town and outside our right door is the mountain and in the front is the ocean. But I really admire you know, they all go to the mountain on the weekends and take walks and set aside time to sort of commune with nature. And a lot of their mythology is based around nature and natural facts and seasons. And so I I really love that about them. Um, If I had to name something frustrating, it's probably what has kept them so unique and special throughout these years, which is their sort of closed nature. Mm. Very suspicious of anything new, especially older generations, very suspicious of outsiders, Uh, very proud of their culture. So it's sort of this double-edged sword because it's something that's very cool mm-hmm. that has helped maintain them but it's also frustrating if you're coming from the outside and trying to sell ice cream sandwiches. <laughs>
0: yeah. And what about you, Buckley? I mean, you grew up here, so do you see differences or do you feel do you feel Basque or what does that mean to you?
2: Well, I feel Basque when I'm at school and I hear my teacher say when One kid in my class, he almost always speaks Spanish, like when the teacher asks him something. And I think, like, does he know he's in Basque country? Because he has to speak Basque. And um, for me, Basque is a really old and unique language because, you know, you don't use it in a lot of places.
0: And there's a certain pride here of of keeping Basque language. And from what I've understood, there is no precursor to Basque language. It's its own primitive language. Who knows where it came from or it just came from the earth. Basically. Yeah, it's lots of, those, of you
1: know. lots of theories and I don't think anybody's proven any one of them to be true.
0: All right. so let me change the channel a little bit. And, and you've done a lot of uh, not just writing but video appearances and TV appearances about this this region and clearly there are greatest hits that people need to experience when they visit here whether it's eating or drinking in La Parte Vieja or taking in the beach and surfing scene at La Concha and La Surriola but beyond those, what are some of the places or experiences that have moved you the most if you go beyond that layer, that
1: hmm. initial layer Yeah, yeah, I always you know, talk about that because it is true, you get here and you're like, oh my god pinchos, oh mm-hmm. my god, beautiful city oh my god But really, it was when I started to explore beyond that, that I really felt like my eyes got open to who these people are, especially going into the interior, into the mountains and um into the smaller towns around is where I felt like doors really started opening. And literally, like, I remember my first experience after a few months here was going to the town of Tolosa, and it was my first Runada, which is this cultural phenomenon of a meal based around a pot of beans mm-hmm. that people eat. And it's a very set menu, and when it's bean season, everybody's doing it. And so that was my first stepping into a gastronomic society, too. The dining clubs that Basque people have, they are members and they go there to cook with their friends and gather around the table for a meal. And that's the only thing that happens. And that's the whole point. And so I just feel like those kind of closed door experiences with the people, gathering around the table with people is where you really get to the bottom of the Basque country. You can do it at a pincho bar and that's fun but I think that um, getting to sort of infiltrate their culture has been something that I'm still learning about, you know, and then the doors of the artisans that I've been able to have been open for me, you know, it's really, it's one thing to eat Iria cheese, which is a great experience, highly recommendable, but a totally different thing is to go up in the mountains and walk into this man's farmhouse and see the little sacks of rennet lamb Mm -hmm. stomach hanging there ready to make cheese every day from the lacha sheep that he's milking, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I don't know why, I don't know why I love it so Mm -hmm. much. I don't know if it's like the hipster part of me or if it's, you know, just this inner part of me that enjoys having your feet in the earth and your hands in the milk or in Mm -hmm. the whatever. You
0: know? Yeah. Uh, my wife and I went to Tolosa mm-hmm. a couple, I don't know, a month and a half ago. And w- what we wanted to do was taste the alubias de Tolosa, have that experience. So, just out of serendipity, we went to a restaurant called El Fronton. Mm. I don't know, you've heard of Love El it. Fronton. <laughs> but here's the deal we walked in and said, Do you have reservations? And we said, No. And he said, You're lucky we have one last table. So we sat there and had alubias, <laughs> But But get this as we were ordering, the waiter stopped and said to us, just so you know, this is the last day ever of the restaurant, yeah. because apparently the municipal government gives 25-year leases to this space next to the, what, old yeah. Pelota Fronton Court, and we're just mind-blown that we were allowed into this uh, <laughs> What a lucky, moment. What a
1: lucky day. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's
0: interesting, because I've read the, the Basque mentality, and I liked it because I think it describes me as well, is um, very <laughs> wary of strangers of new people but once they real they don't suffer fools gladly but once they realize you're not a fool and you're not excessively churlish and they they open up do you think that's an oversimplification there's still some resistance or no you
1: know? i think i think i think that's uh, sums it that sums it up i mean they've never been rude i would never say that they're rude you know it's like <laughs> It's like a chilly exterior, but then it's true. Once they open up, you know they're like the nicest people in the world, and and you know they're also dependable. I mean, I remember my one of my friends is from Tolosa, and he invited us to be with him in carnival because they have their their, they're one of the top carnival destinations in Basque country, and they do parades. and He invited us to go out with his group of friends, you know that he's been going out in carnival for his whole life, and because we went out that one year, we were pretty much in the club and mm. were in carnivals every year for mm-hmm. the rest of our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <And the laughs> well, I've seen that on, the ins- on Instagram, Buckley, you're in traditional wear and everything. What's, what's some of your favorite experiences living in the Basque country around around that?
2: Well, I really like when, <sighs> like in neote that's kind of like the carnivals. When at my school, we dress up as really some really traditional characters that were in the Basque country from really long ago. And in fourth grade, um, we are the Mamusharroak, which are these people who, in in a very small town, they have black masks, um, a white hat, and white clothes on. And they have a really, really sharp and long stick and... For example, if someone is laughing at them or looking at them weirdly and they just stand there, um, we go and we hit them with a stick on their feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if they just run, we hit the stick on the ground really hard.
0: That's, it's interesting you mentioned. that. I think it was La Feria de Santo Tomás the night before we were in mm-hmm. Antigua, en Calle Matias. Yeah. And we were just walking around, and all of these children were running around <laughs> trying to get these gigantes that are walking, yeah. like, papier-mâché gigantes oh, that yeah, have, yeah. had, like, a pig bladder on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids wanted to be beat with a pig bladder on a stick. What's up with that? Is that just...
2: That's weird because <laughs> well, we don't actually do that to people because we're a lot at our school, but we just do the dance. But then in fifth grade, we're... Um, Aceridanza, that's when, like, a person gets picked to put a fox hat, hat on or a fox head. And they just go dancing around. But it's really traditional. I think fourth grade is the most
0: traditional. <laughs> and I think I learned a word for fox. It's azedia. So Azeria. Because nice. my other cat, I have two cats, squid, yeah. and the other cat is fox. So I can learn that <laughs> yeah. quickly. So... Now, here comes a challenging question. I don't know (laughs) if it's challenging given what you do, but you tell me. I'm going to read an excerpt from Oscar Wilde's The Ballad of Reading Jail. Each man kills the thing he loves. By each let this be heard. Some do it with a bitter look and some with a flattering word. So you have written about this region, appeared in videos, TV, and film, and are coming out with a book, which we'll talk about more, by the way, all about this place. And we've also had to put it a bit Pat Lee, the Anthony Burdenization of, of this region, do you ever worry about that paradox of loving and sharing a place so much that you have a hand in causing it to be overexposed and diluting its essence a bit as a result?
1: All the time. (laughs) To put it frankly, Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's never been easy with the blog writing about places because I always reserve a little handful of places that I never will write about. Mm. And I don't like to tell people about. Mm -hmm. And I do an extreme vetting uh, process for anybody that writes me for a recommendation. Mm. I'm like, is this person a secret journalist are going to spill the secret to someone they shouldn't? You know, but So there's that, wanting to keep really special places secret. Kind of, that's one side of you. But then the other side of me... Maybe it's justifying it. Maybe it's the truth. But I'm like, well, somebody, somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to write about San Sebastian. Mm-hmm. So I would rather it be somebody who knows because nothing's worse than picking up a magazine, even one of prestige, and reading an article about San Sebastian and just saying that is not true or that is not how it is. And so it's something that I worry about a lot because part of me doesn't want this place to get overexposed. But if it is going to get... More and more visited and more and more crowded, I would like people to understand where they're coming, to know that it's not right to walk into a bar and get handed a huge plate and just Mm -hmm. fill it with cold pinchos. Mm -hmm. That's not what you're supposed to do, and that's not what this culture is about, you know? Mm -hmm. So I want to be, to help, you know, transmit the real part of the culture, the beautiful part of the culture. So it's, it's a constant battle, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And There's news stories that I've read over the past year about, you know, uh, touristic pisos, flats, that had to be regulated because there's too many of them, and tourists go home, graffiti showing up everywhere. And I had the Sisters in the City last week. It was an episode in Spanish, but there's a translation online for those who are following. Um, and they mentioned, I asked them a similar question, and they said that their responsibility is to distribute people more widely across the Basque Country, not just in a less than one square mile block in Parte Vieja. So what about Gros? What about Tolosa? What about God, all other, all these other places? What about French Basque Country? As yeah, well, I mm-hmm. think
1: that's the major strategy of Basque Country. Speaking government, government strategy, I think that is their strategy to distribute people. I mean, I get worried, you know, because... You don't want to have, you know, huge buses of tourists going out to the special places in the countryside either. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's and people say, you know, we don't need to be worrying about it because Saint Sebastian in reality has always been a tourist town. You go back to the Belle Epoque and it was all tourist in the summer, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful not to put on rose colored glasses when we look at the past. And, you know, but having a place, a livable town should be a priority for the local government, and hopefully it will be. And, you know, all I feel like I can do and trying to do also with a book is to give people um, a broader painting of what this culture is to communicate how special it is so that hopefully they can appreciate it.
0: So, yeah, let's talk about that book that's coming <laughs> coming up. If I understand correctly, it's coming in September and it involves photography, and it's a cookbook of sorts. But why don't you tell us what what this is all about, or what you are able to tell us, because I don't know if there's anything embargoed about it.
1: (laughs) Not yet. So everything is pretty much set in stone at this point. It's called Bass Country, and it's under Artisan Publishing, which is uh, under Workman, and they put out several great cookbooks like um, Sean Brock, Jenny's Ice Cream, Thomas Keller. So, uh, really honored to be working with them. Um, it's a collection of, for me, the 104 most traditional recipes, from pinchos, which is only about 10 or 11 recipes in the book, mm. to um, soups, to meat, to seafood, to dessert, to even to drinks. The drinks chapter has seven recipes, mm. and for me, it was. A really a labor of love. It's been in the uh, works for a long time. It took me about a year and a half, two years to write and test all the recipes and gather all the recipes um, because if there's anything I've learned, there's as many ways to prepare traditional dishes as there are towns in Basque Country. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really cool journey, but in the end, what it is what it is is going to be probably one of the only places around that you can find the 100 most traditional recipes with you know, instructions for the American cook, which is to say, step step by step, with everything measured out. and also accompanying head notes that will explain the tradition and the history behind each recipe, how to eat it. And then I also included in this book because the culture of the Basque, country is around the table and the table is inspired by the culture so i also have included about 30 essays on everything from the basque santa claus to basque uh, pelota the highlight to everything um everything that you can imagine and then also uh essays covering all the different regions of basque country so navarre arab arab Gipuzkoa, Vizcaya, and Iparralde, which are the french uh, the French side of Basque Country, which was also important to me because that often gets left to the side when people talk about Basqueness. So it's a pretty complete book, and I'm really excited about it, and the pictures are beautiful. Um, I got a photographer called Simon Bajada from Australian, and he did a really great job. So I'm really hoping that it becomes sort of the one-stop shop for Basque cuisine.
0: Well, this sounds great because when, when I visited here, God, it must have been three or four years ago, uh, when I was back in the United States, I tried to change my life and not be so, such a slave to time. So I would say three times a week I'm going to walk. I had the privilege of being able to walk to work. I would walk home and think about some of the dishes I had in the Basque country, and, and I would you know, write an email or text to my wife saying, I'm having Basque lunch today. So I would walk home <laughs> and take out the peppers
1: Cool.
0: Get the bacalao, the cod and food processor it, and put little oil in it, try to emulsify it as best <laughs> as I could. So I was making it up as I was going along. But what's as important as the food is the experiences and that cultural layer you were talking about. So it's really interesting to me to learn that it's not only about recipes and the mechanics of making these dishes, but getting also a sense of the texture of the place so that you can have that, that duality of the how-to as well as the why and the feel. Of this place. Yeah, I mean,
1: for me, that was super important. A, because, like I said, the the dishes come from the culture. Like, um, why do people eat the, the chorizo a, or sea, a la Riojana? Why is that a dish? Well, it's a dish because, you know, when they were out in the fields, working the fields in Arava, they had a pot, they had a fire, so everything had to go in the same pot, and made this delicious stew. It's not because some chef made this plate out mm-hmm. of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the interesting part. And I think, you know, a lot of people buy cookbooks and they don't cook from them. So also recounting the story was an important part for, you know, people who are just armchair traveling. You yeah,
0: know. So that's one out of three things I want to talk about that's sounds like your current life. The second one is Mimo Foods. You are, what's the title? I wrote it down, but I've seen a few things. (laughs) Marketing and brand manager for Mimo Foods. But I've also seen creative designer. And trust me, I understand as somebody who used to be in marketing, they just throw whatever (laughs) title at you and say, please help me. So tell us a little bit about what Mimo Foods is all about and the kind of things you do there.
1: Okay. Well, actually, my title just changed. So it's marketing and creative director. (laughs) So, But basically, I'm in charge of the... The ima- the image of of Mimo. And Mimo is, like we were talking about, you know, that fight of not exposing San Sebastian too much to the outside world. And my argument is, well, if you're going to do it, do it well. And so that's what I feel like Mimo does because they basically do tours, pincho tours, tours of La Rioja they do wine tastings, they do cooking classes, but I, but always at a really high level, really quality, everything, ingredients, people. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, they're rooted in the luxurious and the authentic, and it's a great way to experience the place. And so for them, I design our cooking schools, our shops, I do the graphic design of everything. And um also the marketing and it's uh, really really never the same kind of work day which mm-hmm. i really
0: like and the social media as well is He'll, it you behind the the veil of social media yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. i have a little help but yeah i <laughs> carry a lot of, a lot of different hats there but it really suits me because it's my three backgrounds culinary writing and also design
0: it used to be San Sebastian foods or something like that yeah exactly shifted into from just being a tour to a sort of experiential cooking school and
1: yeah uh, yeah my boss slash friend John Warren was the founder and he actually has a really cool story as well he came from England had passed through San Sebastian, just traveling, fell in love with it, came back with a suitcase and a bicycle, mm. and started working wherever he could find a job. And he ended up at v- Villa Soto, which is uh, one of the nicer hotels in town. And he was sort of helping people and found a lot of people asking him for tips on where to go <laughs> for food. And that was, you know, over about 10 years ago. So this was before everyone knew about pinchos. And so he started his business, San Sebastian Food, he called it, and he did Pincho Tours. And since then, has continued to grow. And in 2014, they opened a gourmet shop in the Maria Cristina. And in 2015, opened the 500-meter-squared cooking school in the downstairs of the Maria Cristina, which is amazing fun, really great for San Sebastian because it rains all the time. (laughs) And also just really interesting for me, from my point of view, that a five-star hotel wants to... Changed their spa into a cooking school. Mm. I mean, that's awesome, right? It's like really shows you the shifting tides of of travel and where we're headed. But, um, and we opened in Sevilla uh, in 2017, which is what prompted the name change. And Mm -hmm. Mimo is the loving care that you give a baby. It's mm-hmm. the Spanish for that. And here in Basque Country, as everything's about food, it also is what you have to give a pot of bacalao when you're swirling it, trying to emulsify it, or what you mm-hmm. give to a stew. So it's kind of the perfect name for our business. And, and we also opened, like you said, in Mallorca the last year as well. And we just opened the doors of our cooking school in Sevilla this Mm -hmm. past uh, week. So always, Mm -hmm. always doing new stuff.
0: You get to ping pong across those those destinations (laughs) and finally Uh, get to know southern Spain a little better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I love the weather. The weather is amazing.
0: (laughs) So now I have a Buckley section. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Okay, some of it we answered, but I'll share some of these questions because I'm curious. You speak Spanish, Basque, and English, is that right? All three. Mm -hmm. Was it tough to learn all three at the same time, or how did that work, or did did it just feel natural because that's what you had?
2: Well, first, um, when I was in this school, I didn't know any Basque or Spanish. I just knew English. And then, since everyone started speaking Spanish or Basque, I was just hearing them, and I was like, what are they talking about? Like, what language is Mm -hmm. that? And... Then I just went to a bigger school, and I learned more Basque and Spanish. And then in this school, since first grade, I've known pretty much a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. And when I came here, everybody would joke, well, you're going to San Sebastián. You already know Spanish, so I guess you're going to learn Basque. And I, my <laughs> eyes crossed because I know how difficult it is. And luckily, my wife doesn't know Spanish, so she gets to learn Spanish, not <laughs> Basque. And I'm the one who gets to learn Basque.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's you... tough, isn't it? Oh, She thinks that she's just used to it. That's her life, yeah. you know. But mm-hmm. as an outsider, an adult trying mm-hmm. to learn it, it's totally different than Spanish.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you go back to the U.S. every once in a while to visit family and friends? Is that like a once, two, three, four times a year kind of thing? Or?
2: Well, yeah, I went this summer mm-hmm. uh, and this Christmas... And we just, we go to, normally we go to my great-grandma's house to go open presents. And it's just really fun being with the family, you know. And I feel more at home there because I just, I'm from there. So, mm-hmm. and I usually don't go there a lot. So, yeah.
0: And do you notice any, what differences do you notice between Basque country in the U.S. Does anything strike you as? Hmm, it's different. Yeah,
2: um, America is like it's pretty old, but it's kind of new because Basque country is like so old, mm-hmm. um, and it has so many traditions. It has more traditions than United States, and it's just I like when I first came here, it was pretty sh- much shocking to me because there was it was so active and mm-hmm. it was really really
0: beautiful yeah we've noticed that too there's a festival or a ceremony or (laughs) every other week there's something we didn't even know the carnival throwing the babies was happening the other day we just let's get the camera and let's go out and film baby throwing
1: (laughs) how else do you survive such a cold and rainy winter right yeah
0: (laughs) What's your favorite thing about Donosti? If you think of yourself 10 years from now when, when you've grown up some yeah. and someone asks you to think back to your time here, what do you think you'll remember most strongly?
2: That that I've had a lot of fun like being in Basque Country because maybe I moved back to the United States. So that I would remember a lot of things and that I could show people in the United States some Basque mm-hmm. and I just I think I would learn a lot more Basque like I would know like every Basque word ever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you're in 10 years from now you're gonna know every Basque word yeah okay mm-hmm.
2: great <laughs>
0: that's good and you know I wanted to share this with you because um when I was following your mom on on social networks because yeah. I was thinking about coming to the Nostia mm-hmm. It struck me only about four months ago that there was another layer of my interest, which is I was moved when I was two and a half to Mexico. Yeah. And my dad died when I was five or six. Mm-hmm. So my mom said, I'm just staying in Mexico. I'm going to make a life of it. And I was her only, her, I still am, her only son. <laughs> yeah. And she just made a life of it and, you know, raised me there till I was 18 in this crazy big city, Mexico <laughs> City, which is wow. one of the largest in the world. Yeah. Whenever people say, oh, how did how did that go? Was that weird or how did you learn Spanish? It's just like asking a fish, hey, do you notice the water around you? What do you mean? I'm a fish. right? So um, I think it's been inspirational, not just because you've given me inspiration in Donosti, but I think there's a little bit of me and my mom, you and and Buckley, I think there's a certain uh, alignment there which which interested me. I think if I psychoanalyze myself, there was something around that as well. It's really courageous and it's really amazing. And (laughs) as you know, very few people have this experience, so...
1: Do you you still feel Mexican? How much of you feels Mexican and how much of you feels American?
0: Oh, wow. Flipping the table here. (laughs) I'm just curious. I've been thinking about this a lot. I think um, I went to the United States for college, and then I had inertia from Mm -hmm. college. I went to graduate school in Mm -hmm. philosophy, and then I went into the workforce as a designer and marketing, et cetera. And in those decades, there wasn't complete comfort with the American culture Mm -hmm. because there was Mexican background in me and I think part of what I'm doing now is sort of breaking the inertia remixing who I am and and trying to figure that out Um, I think when I stub my toe I curse in Spanish and I think that's the best answer I can give at that point Um, I feel culturally more Mexican than I do American Mm -hmm. but I've spent most of my life in the United States so Mm -hmm. I appreciate it and have annoyances with it as well
1: yeah yeah i always wonder what's going to happen to buckley when she moves on to the next phase in her life because she is so Basque and she doesn't realize it she's also very american but (laughs) she's so Basque and she only knows the life here really and when we go back to alabama it's great but it's also vacation and having (laughs) so much fun and not having any responsibilities but i just wonder you know what that will be like for her whenever she has to change locations Mm -hmm. i'm sure it will happen
0: yeah. And mm-hmm. probably you've heard this, and I don't want to sound patronizing about it, but when you're older, you'll realize just how valuable and how, just frankly, kick-ass this experience <laughs> is going to be right now. It's just going to yeah. be a part of you, and it's if it isn't already. It's, it's, a, it's <laughs> it amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So, okay, let me shift gears. And the third thing you're doing right now is, or I think... You're also or have been part of a a documentary titled The Choco Experience. What's that all about, that documentary?
1: Yeah, well, it's one of those things that they kind of contact you via the internet or someone that you've been in touch with. And, you know, it gets me in a busy moment in my life. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. What time do I have to be there and where? And, you know, and then I realized after doing it that it was like a really big. A undertaking that they were going through. So it's actually a documentary that sort of within the framework of trying to explain these Basque gastronomic societies, they take you around to the chefs, to the people, to the artisans, and used myself and a couple other sources as sort of like the narrating voice of the documentary. If I'd known, I would have worn makeup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What do you mean, Boo?
2: Oh, I just wanted to say that um, I'm ten years old, and um, <laughs> also that I really like the day before my birthday because it's like really, really traditional. It's when it's called the the and that's when we get the drums and we just go for. Like, to have a lot of fun and just to play and have, you know, like at night we go and have a lot of pinchos and we have a lot of fun. And, but mine starts in the morning, but my mom's tamboretta starts like at eleven thirty at night and it finishes at four in the morning
0: and that's the, the day of san sebastian where yeah. cooks and uh, play soldiers yeah. and all these folks just drum incessantly yeah. th- in parade throughout the whole city <laughs> yeah and i heard that some people it's almost like a cult and you have to practice for like three weeks oh, the, yeah the yeah, rumbles, yeah i practiced
2: you know? for like half a month i think
1: two months you were practicing it,
2: i already knew all the songs but there was only three new ones but it was pretty easy <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so back to that makeup issue. (laughs) I would assume a documentary would have a makeup artist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. um, We filmed my part in the gastronomic society, and I think they were on a pretty whirlwind production schedule because they're American-based, and they came and, they traveled through some of the best kitchens in Basque Country, and they were in Arzac, Echevarri. So I guess it was pretty war documentary, but I think it ended up being a really nice visual, uh, moving capture of what the cuisine is all about in Basque Country. And so, yeah, I was really thrilled to be a part of it. And they were writing me and saying, well, now it's going to be premiering in Gastronomigo, which is the food conference in San Sebastian. And so, yeah, big honor to be a part of it. Right now, I think it's screening in the airplanes that fly internationally in uh, Iberia. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's flying. And then I know that they're looking for distribution in, in the States.
0: And I saw a preview, a trailer of it on YouTube, so I'll attach it to the page that accompanies this podcast so so people can can take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Are you planning on staying in Donostia for the unforeseen future? Do you have plans or do you just? take it as it comes.
1: I don't have plans. <laughs> I would love to depending on how this cookbook shakes out, I would love to do another one. I think the world needs another pincho cookbook mm. because there aren't that many and Not yeah. <laughs> I do. I think that you know that I think that's got space and then getting a little more esoteric i would love to do one of like the lost dishes or the very unique dishes that there are in every tiny village like just there's so much richness cultural richness um in zumaya which is about 30 minutes away as well they have a day of the octopus and they have this disgusting soup made from dried octopus and it smells up the streets of the town and it's like i would never want anybody to make that soup and like go out of their way to source dried octopus for it but I would love to write about it and keep it alive somewhere, you know. So, so I that is to say I feel like I have a couple more books in me and the world needs a couple more books. But I don't also don't know what the future holds and it's a place where <laughs> it reminds me of that the Sunscreen song because it's what does it say like leave New York before you get hard and leave California before you get soft. Mm-hmm. And I feel like San Sebastian is definitely a place you could get soft. You know, so uh, because it's so comfortable for living and so safe and so beautiful. And um, so I don't ever want to lose, you know, um, that like thirst for life. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to get too comfortable, but it's a very nice place to live. So happy where I am at the moment.
0: (laughs) So let's tell people where they could go and find out more about you, about Mimo, or about any of the myriad projects that you're a part of, including your book. Where should people go via the series of tubes to <laughs> learn more about everything you're doing?
1: Well, I mean, Instagram is where you can follow me every day and watch Buckley and I sing on our Instagram <laughs> stories together. Um, in my Instagram, my handle is Marty Buckley, and then uh, my blog is travelcookeat.com. It's called Blank Palette, as you mentioned, and that's where I keep sort of a catalog of what I'm eating and what I'm doing and um, hope to improve it soon and make it more searchable to to help people on their journeys. And also, if you're coming to San Sebastian or Sevilla or Mallorca, MimoFood.com is where I can 100% recommend cooking classes and food tours. Not just because I'm the marketing director.
0: <laughs> no, and I absolutely recommend going out and finding you online because I think I told you this via email. I mean, there are many factors that help me get the courage to move, and I'm going to give you 5% of the credit oh, that's for so that. So sweet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel honored. I really do. It's so strange because I'm just here, you know, living and. Mm-hmm. And keeping track of what I do. And it's cool that I'm like serving some sort of purpose. <laughs>
0: and I think that's precisely that, what we talked about earlier. It wasn't the, the goal of authenticity in Farm to Table, it is seeing somebody authentically living within that hmm. context that made a difference for hmm. me. So thank you. And mm. thank you, Buckley, for joining us today. Hope You're this welcome. was fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share, like, or leave a review for this podcast since all this activity helps us get noticed and grow. I would also love it if you visited thismustbetheplace.io, where more episodes, videos, and written content live. On that site, you will find a companion article for this episode where you can find more about Marty and Buckley, along with links to additional goodies such as information about her blog, her video appearances, Mimo Foods, more on her forthcoming book, and more on the Choco experience. And of course, you can always subscribe and receive the latest, greatest episode on your favorite app and device. Until the next time, this must be the place.